It's 11.30 on Wednesday. It's June 2nd. It is time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for choosing us to be a part of your day. Busy day coming up. A lot going on here across the region. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports. Of course, yesterday they had uh, Shrine Bowl Media Day, so we'll hear more about that. Bob Broken will tell us how uh, stocks are performing here on this Wednesday. I believe it's a Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday. Things get all messed up when you have the uh, three-day weekend. And we'll hear more about that. I think believe stocks are up so far. We'll get more about that in a couple of moments. But uh, as we always do, let's check up with our own Susan Littlefield. And Susan, how is your day going? It is great. Anytime that I can be out at the Husker Harvest Days grounds, corn looks good, beans look good. It looks like they're about ready to start cutting alfalfa out here. Now you guys are doing renovations there at Husker Harvest Days, getting the building uh, all spruced up a bit. Yeah, we are. We're doing a little deep cleaning because, you know, we, the building's sun empty because we didn't have the show last year. So it'll be all ready to go when folks come visit us in September. All right. Good deal. Well, while you're working there, what does the farm crew have in store for us today? Well, I'll kick everything off here at 1219, talking about wheat, weed, and insect control, especially as we get closer to harvesting this winter wheat. That comes from the folks at K-State. Then at 1245, I'll be talking with Kelly Fian. She's a UNL Extension Educator and Master Gardener Extraordinaire. We're going to talk about Eve, as they call it, the emerald ash borer. We know that it's been found as far west as Kearney, but did you know they can hitch a ride on a car? So we'll talk more about that and what they're doing to control them. And then Alex will wrap up everything here at 117 as she speaks with the INR's vice chancellor about the summer and what it looks like for youth involved in Nebraska 4-H. So that's a midday on this Wednesday from the farm team. Okay, very good. Well, uh, enjoy the work there at Husker Harvest Days. We'll do so. Thanks. All right, have a good one. That is Susan Littlefield. Appreciate that. Let's get caught up with our own Jason Jorgensen. And Jason, you were able to uh, talk to some of the coaches and uh, upcoming players for Shrine I was. Yeah, they had media day yesterday. They had a nice day for that. Coming up in sports, we'll hear from South head coach Mark McLaughlin. He's been at Platteview the last several years. Before that, he was a head coach Ed Gibbon coaching the North squad this year is Kurt Franzen, who is a head coach at Columbus Lakeview. Of course, everything will come together. Things a little bit different this year for the Shrine Bowl. It's a night game for the first time since it's been played in Kearney. This is the eighth summer that Kearney has hosted the game. We'll have it for everyone on Saturday night at 6 right here on 880-KRVN. I would assume for the players in particular, it's probably going to be nice to play at night and not during what Sometimes is the heat of the day and hot. Yeah, you always that's a gamble this time of year. And it's supposed to be about eighty seven, I think, around here on Saturday, so it will not hurt for it to be a, a night game. Also it gives the two teams a little more time to prepare to get ready. Also, this is the second straight year in which both camps have been held in Kearney. So everything kind of continues to come together with the game in Kearney. We'll give you a preview coming up in sports. Also, it's 1st of June, which means uh, we could see some movement on the NFL front. Maybe Aaron Rodgers to Denver. There's no maybe. It's happening. <laughs> We're, I'm, I'm just going to keep talking about it until it happens. So. All right. Let's, I like uh, that. Let's move on to uh, Bob Broken. Uh, how are stocks performing? Stocks edging higher as uh, gains in tech companies offset losses in banks, industrial companies, and other sectors. Investors are uh, focusing their attention on this month's jobs data, which will be out on Friday. Details on those stories coming up. Okay. 
Now 11.44 here at KRVN on this Wednesday. Time to check in with the regional ag weather update. Brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Rinky dealer. Paul Perkins now joining us here in the studio. And uh, boy, this is going to be a beautiful spring-like day for most of us. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than this, especially in Nebraska and Kansas. Light south winds, if there is a wind in your location. Uh, temperatures into the 70s and those dew points making it very comfortable. Those dew points right now in the low to mid 50s, so very low humidity. Very, very comfortable day right now. Now, possibly later this afternoon into the evening there is a chance that uh, some storms could roll in yes on a very isolated or scattered basis a trough of low pressure moving in from the west could pop up a few thunderstorms especially as the afternoon heating kicks in and a little more humidity moves in but all in all not expecting too much of a thunderstorm threat and actually looks pretty dry over the next few days after or extra than after over the next few weeks after we had a pretty wet period here over the last uh, week or two so essentially this is our last chance for any kind of precipitation for really the next week or so exactly and probably maybe early next week a small chance of some thunderstorms but right now that's looking like a very outside chance too and important to note probably no severe weather right no uh, very uh, low on the severe weather threat maybe an isolated severe thunderstorm but that's looking very doubtful at this point uh, right now yeah not even the storm prediction center predicting anything close to any kind of a severe threat closer to our area for the time being maybe early next week but right now that severe threat is actually looking pretty low okay go ahead Right now we do have temperatures pretty much in the low to mid-70s across the area and a few patchy clouds popping up in eastern areas of Nebraska and central and east Kansas. Also a band of some clouds into the eastern, northeastern Nebraska panhandle and that's in, closer to that trough of low pressure that could fire some showers and thunderstorms on a very scattered basis later today. Very much warmer though as you head to the north. Their temperatures already to the upper 70s to low 80s in much of Minnesota and the Dakotas and that's where they could see some triple digit heat over the next day or two. A light southerly flow off a low pressure drop for today in our area, warming our temperatures back to seasonal levels. It's been a while since we've been at those seasonal levels. Daytime heating near that drop of low pressure in the west and central could lead to a few thunderstorms in some areas. Once again, in west and central areas this afternoon and evening, any of the rain amounts expected on the light side and any severe threat on the low side. Tomorrow through the day, Monday, going to be dry with a warming trend as the ridge of high pressure builds east onto the plains. Our daytime highs warming to slightly above normal for tomorrow and then 5 to 10 degrees above average for Friday through early next week. Scattered thunderstorm chances are back with low pressure trekking across the plains for Monday night into Tuesday. That system though very unorganized. Severe weather currently looks unlikely and due to the expected slow movement of any of those scattered thunderstorms, rain totals will vary. Some areas probably not going to see anything but we could see some locally high amounts if it does rain in your particular location. In our long-term forecast, chances are good for warmer than normal temperatures for Sunday through June 15th in Nebraska and Kansas, especially in Nebraska. Going along with those warmer temperatures will be slightly below normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the middle of the month on June 15th. Key weather factors driving the markets include heat expanding across the northern U.S. and Canadian prairies and exacerbating the drought in the northern plains. Dryness likely to continue through most of this week. Rain may return this weekend, but 
More likely chances next week. That's still no guarantee, though. Today's Northern Plains temperatures will approach record high territory in the triple digits. The exacerbation of the drought could damage vulnerable crops. North Dakota's top soil moisture right now rated 73% very short to short. Soil moisture is adequate for the time being in the Canadian prairies from recent heavy rain, but more is needed to end the drought for many other locations. In the south and east Midwest, the system in the Ohio River will bring some scattered rain today and tomorrow. Drier areas across the northern Midwest will see only limited rain chances. The Midwest rain chances next week, a little more widespread, especially across the western half. In the southern plains, isolated rain expected through the end of the week with more widespread rain next week, especially over the eastern half of the southern plains. Below normal temperatures much of this week in the southern plains, keeping the growth a little slower than normal for corn and soybeans. Nationally right now, corn planting 95% complete, while 84% of the nation's soybeans are planted. Well, this is going to certainly help the temperatures and the fields and everything grow a lot here in the next week or so. Yeah, a few fields a little bit on the soppy side, so that will help in the drying. And, of course, uh, that moisture already in the ground really going to see that corn and soybean growth take off. Greening things up. Love You it. betcha. All right. For a full weather forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krbn.com. All right. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Carney is once again hosting the Nebraska Shrine Bowl, and you can catch all of the action on 880 KRVN and 106.9 FM. This is the 63rd edition of the Summertime Classic. Our coverage on Saturday starts at 5.50 with kickoffs later for just after 6. It's brought to you by UNK, Buzz's Marine, Fisher Roofing, the Carney Visitors Bureau, and Jason Stark, your Hogemeyer Seed Dealer in Pleasanton. Strong legs run so that weak legs may walk. That's the Nebraska Shrine Bowl this Saturday night on KRVN and KRVN.com. As this year's wheat continues to grow, the issue turns to weed and insect control. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As you look at Kansas, for example, conditions are ripe for a late burst of broadleaf weed growth in maturing wheat fields. And pre-harvest weed control in wheat is all about timely herbicide treatments. Most soils from recent rainfall will likely prompt a large flush of weeds. All this is according to K-State Weed Management Specialist Sarah Lancaster. Weeds which can cause multiple problems such as slowing field cutting and sometimes actually creating foreign materials in the harvested grain. We have had a lot of rain and you know the other things to think about is some of these wheat stands are a little bit thin because of disease issues and things like that. So as we get into some warmer temperatures with abundant moisture and some opportunity for weeds to grow, we can maybe see a little worse than normal um, weed pressure as we, we move towards wheat harvest and, and need to think about getting those guys out of the way so that we can harvest efficiently. Lancaster expects the usual suspects to make their presence known soon, especially in those thinner wheat stands. Things that come to mind would be horseweed or, or mare's tail. We always talk about Palmer amaranth. Um, it's starting to, to come up. So as we, again, think about warmer weather coming along, um, it will definitely be lurking in the wheat canopy. I'm just looking for an opportunity to start to grow. And the pre-harvest herbicide treatment can definitely knock out those infections down. But as Lancaster reminds, the time window for application is restricted and growers need to plan so accordingly. If folks decide that they want to apply an at-harvest herbicide, um, there are some things that they're going to want to think about. First, obviously, is what weeds they're going after. 
Um, another thing would be how long it takes the herbicide to act. So some of the herbicides that are labeled for harvest weed control and wheat act pretty quickly within a few days, and some take a little longer, a week or two. So knowing that, and then the other really important thing to think about that we don't often consider with agronomic crops is the pre-harvest interval. So some of these products have a little bit longer um, waiting period after application and before you can legally harvest and sell the grain, just to make sure we don't have herbicide residues coming through in that grain as we process it for consumption. Um, so as we think about things that folks might want to use, things like dicamba, um, or glyphosate, those have a seven-day waiting period. Something like Sharpen only has a three-day waiting period. And so if you make your decision late, <laughs> that may be something to think about. Sharpen's going to act a little bit faster on your weeds, and it's also going to have a little bit of a shorter uh, waiting period as well. Those comments coming from K-State's weed management specialist, Sarah Lancaster. Well, as harvest time approaches, wheat growers should also be on the alert for some late-arriving insects, which will go right after the grain itself. A K-State crop entomologist is already hearing from producers about the presence of the wheat head armyworm. Jeff Whitworth says growers would do well to check their fields closely for signs of the armyworm right now. A lot of times we don't even notice we have that infestation until we start to harvest the wheat. We get all these worms on the grain or on the, on the header or on the, in the truck, and it's just full of worms. Or when we take the grain in and try and sell it, and you get dunned for having insect damage kernels uh, because the wheat-headed armyworm is one of the few insects that's out in the field that the type of damage that they inflict on the kernel or the grain itself looks like a stored product insect. Those comments coming from K-State University. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jordan is joining us. And Jason, you were able to get over to Kearney yesterday and uh, talk to some of the players and, and coaches for the Shrine Bowl. It's always a fun day to talk about this game. It's something that we've carried on KRVN for a long time. South this year is being a coach. The head coach is Mark McLaughlin, who is from Platteview. Of course, he had also spent some time at Gibbon. And he says this game does a great job of bringing people together. Like on the North team, you've got a kid from Morrill. And a kid out of Omaha that's 467 miles apart. I mean, you take kids from all these different schools and across the state and try to blend them together. The kids are easy. The, they know plays. They know football. Verbiage, like meshing 45 different high schools verbiage, that's hard. Uh, they're doing great, though. Now, coaching the North squad this year is Kurt Franzen, who's the head coach at Columbus Lakeview, and he says this is all about the experience for the kids. They're the best one or two guys that uh, are coming out of their team or their area, and um, to assemble those guys and, and see how fast they picked up everything and how uh, fast they're able to build chemistry is pretty amazing, to say the least. And um, it's, you know, like I said, the experience. Uh, of the beyond the field is uh, definitely a big special part and the most important part of it. Now the 63rd edition of this game is set for this Saturday night. We kick off shortly after 6 at UNK. We will bring it to you here on 880 KRVN and 106.9 FM at Kearney. First time since Carney's hosted the game it will be a night game. 
you know, this game has had some uh, kids that come through and have done some big things at the the next level. So there, there's some talent that you'll see. There always is. You know, a lot of the D1 scholarship kids don't play anymore for a lot of different reasons. They've also expanded the rosters a little bit. They're going with 45 kids per team. Last year was the first year they did that due to COVID. But it does give a chance for uh, some of the, uh, you know, lesser-known kids from smaller schools to get a chance to play. And it's and it's a good deal. It's a football game for a great cause. Again, kickoff is six. Well, a little here. after when the TV folks finally decide oh, okay. to get things started. <laughs> we'll try to bring it to you around six. Yeah, right. <laughs> Roughly around six. Now that the calendar has turned to June, NFL teams can trade or release players and spread the salary cap hit over two years instead of one. That doesn't mean Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere, but the Packers couldn't afford to deal him from a financial standpoint until now. Also, there continues to be some bad blood between those two sides. Uh, folks, are they're watching intently to see if he shows up for minicamp. No, he won't. Not unless he's in a Denver Broncos uniform, then he won't. <laughs> you keep saying that. I, I hope you're right. Major League Baseball is holding its first Lou Gehrig Day with teams wearing a commemorative patch on their uniforms. Gehrig, the Hall of Famer who wore number four, took over as a starting first baseman for the Yankees on June 2nd of 1925. He died on June 2nd of 1941 at the age of 37 of the disease that carries his name. Great honor for him. It really is. Long overdue. I did not know that. That's kind of eerie. Uh, it is. On starting June 2nd and dies in June 2nd. Yeah. Some goosebumps. That's weird. And also some big news uh, breaking this afternoon. Mike Krzyzewski, longtime Duke head coach, has announced this upcoming season will be his last. Mm-hmm. What a farewell tour he'll get. He will, and I have to assume after Duke, they'll, he'll still stay with basketball somehow. Maybe not as a head coach. But I don't know if, listen, he's been in it, involved in it for his entire life. How can he not be involved somewhere? Well, Some you, NBA team. Maybe. You Googled, he's 74. 74, yeah, which you and I did not expect. No, I'd have thought he'd have been a little bit younger than that. But good for him. Yeah. Five national titles with Duke. And he was smart, never leave the college game, never went for the riches of the NBA. Didn't just, have to. Yeah, just did his thing at Duke. Didn't have to. Still got to be involved with the NBA when he coached the, uh, yep, the summer, Olympic teams. The Olympic yep. teams. And the best of the best at that point, too. Had a good run. And back in the day, he was out in Grant, Nebraska, and at Ogallala to recruit Bill Jackman. I did not know that. Yep. Long before your oh, time. All right. He was out in Ogallala. That would be an interesting just Just to watch Jackman play. He didn't coach right. out there, but he, no, he no, was no, in yeah. the gym. That would be interesting <laughs> to ask him, do you remember Grant, Nebraska? Yeah, that would be. Yeah, no, just to see. He might. Guy that sharp Probably, likely yeah. still does. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Thank you very much. You bet. This is Greg Sharp coming up tonight here on Sports Only. All the day's headlines. We'll talk Major League Baseball with our insider, Lane Grindle. And it's Wednesday. That means buy, sell coming your way. All that tonight here on Sports Nightly. Listen to Sports Nightly on 880-KRVN, 106.9 FM, Kearney, and 98.5 FM, Grand Island. 
It is time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder is checking in. And before we get to news, uh, Dave, you took the uh, brand new vehicle that we're giving away this Oh, my gosh. Yes. Last night to Henderson, right? Yes. A lot of fun. Uh, and the, by the way, the vehicle is a uh, wonderful vehicle. Uh, Ram uh, 3500 mm-hmm. uh, uh, with a, uh, what do you call that uh, bed on the back? Uh, uh, it's just got a, a flat bed on the back. Yeah. yeah. What they use to go fix fence posts or put a bail <laughs> on. Uh, they, and, and they could put a fifth wheel. There's a fifth wheel yeah. hitch on there. Uh-huh. So uh, Farmer's Market in Henderson, uh, they've been doing this for a number of years. And this was the first night, I believe. Uh, so they had uh, some good food there. Um, they had uh, the Henderson Community uh, Health System there. They were serving up barbecue as a little fundraiser for okay. Henderson uh, Health Care Project. So I think some other organizations will be serving food there, too. But uh, I picked up pickled beans and some soy ah. nuts and stuff like that. Uh, I even brought home a plant, too. So <laughs> so not only was it a successful trip for the pickup, but also for you as well. Yes, yes, okay, yes, you bet. Uh, we did get someone registered already, correct? We did, yes. Yes, uh, yes, there's a Henderson resident, too, as a matter of fact, the name that we drew last night. Okay. So Very good. Well, that's not the first, or the, or the last, I should say. It's Absolutely. only just the beginning of oh, my opportunities for you to check out the vehicle and to get registered as well. But uh, good trip overall. You bet. Absolutely. Well, in the news, the, the 24th uh, annual Buffalo Common Storytelling and Music Festival is coming up on June 11th and 13th. Festival director Mary Doolin gave some history on how the Buffalo Common Storytelling Festival was started. 25 years ago, this New Jersey University professors Frank and Deborah Popper wrote an article, The Great Plains from Dust to Dust. This was in 1987. They said that the settlement of the Great Plains from the 100th meridian west to the Rocky Mountains was doomed to turn into an arid treeless land, into a garden cropland that would suck the groundwater dry and lead to economic collapse, you know. So they just felt that we should put it out to the buffalo and not worry about it. That drew some problems with the local people. They didn't think that was what it was at all. Well, the community later invited the poppers to McCook to talk about the article. Since then, Doolin says a festival is a way to show the Buffalo Commons are a vital and thriving community. For a full list of events, go to buffalocommons.org. And again, that event will be held in McCook. Omaha police say the man charged with murder and other counts in the November shooting death of his friend has been aiming for another man who was injured. The Omaha World Herald reports that the detective testified that a hearing for 21-year-old Tip Mutt of Omaha, who is charged with second-degree murder, attempted murder, and other charges in the November shooting death of 21-year-old Gabriel Miller. A judge ruled that Mutt will stand trial on the charges. Police say Mutt and Miller had gone together to the party where a fight broke out. Police believe Mutt pulled a gun and shot Goa Dat, but also hit his friend Miller. Another management change at meat and poultry giant, Fox's Ginny Casola reports. Tyson is replacing its CEO, Dean Banks, after just eight months. Banks says he is leaving for personal reasons. A company veteran, Donnie King, will take over for Banks. King is now Tyson's fifth chief executive in five years. Banks came to Tyson after working in technology and health care. Tyson workers and plants were hard hit by COVID-19 outbreaks in the spring of 2020. The company spent millions on protective measures and bonus pay and has been working to meet demand in the months since. Ginny Coselda, Fox News. And that's a check of the news. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network.
question everybody is asking, where is the emerald ash borer in Nebraska, otherwise known as Eve? Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Kelly Fian is an extension educator based out of Platt County, and when we sat down to talk about Eve, she talked about how far west it's gone, and it's now beyond Hall County. It has been found in Kearney, and yes, there is a map. Actually, on the Nebraska Forest website, it'll say, where is Ebe? And we recommend to people that you start treating for emerald ash borer. If you're going to treat, or if you're not going to treat, that you remove your tree. Once we know the borer has been found within 15 miles of a community. So that's that's a common question. So where is it? And you're right. It's mainly on the eastern end of the state, Omaha-Lincoln area, but it's it's also been found in Fremont, Seward, uh, and in the Grand Island area. So, you know, the thinking is, well, if it's in the east end and it's now been found in Grand Island and Kearney, then it must be in Columbus, right? It's possible it's here and we haven't found it yet. Um, but it's also possible that it jumped over us and it like it hitchhiked on a car. Somebody went shopping in Omaha Lincoln. So we're still sticking with that recommendation of waiting. And there's a reason to wait. People are like, why should I wait? I'm nervous. The best treatment for emerald ash borer is a trunk injection and about every two to three years. Most people will probably do it about every two years. And every time you inject that tree, you actually wound the tree and that it never heals. It seals, but it never heals that wound. So you can only inject a tree so many times, and then that treatment will also start harming the tree. And you can maybe inject a healthy tree about 10 or a few more times. So we don't want to start treating too soon. You're also using an insecticide or putting a pesticide in the environment that has other side effects to non-targets like pollinators. So there is, there is good reason to wait. And even if you're watching and monitoring your tree, um, even if it gets the emerald ash borer, you can still treat and save the tree if it's not too far gone. So what are some telltale signs? I, f- I found it interesting that you said um, it comes from the top down. Right. Our, most of our native ash borers tend to um, go into the main trunk or the larger branches. But emerald ash borer, the adults tend to lay their eggs a little bit higher up in the tree. So people that are looking for those holes, those D-shaped holes that are um, typical of emerald ash borer, they're looking on the trunk. But they're, initially, they're going to be up higher in the tree. And for that reason, we have actually, actually put on trainings for our tree care people that are up there pruning and doing things, because most likely they will find it first. And that's how we find out it's in a community. So yeah, it, the holes themselves initially, you could monitor your trunk, but once we start seeing those D-shaped holes on the trunk, the boar's probably been in the tree for a while. So the other signs to watch for are, you know, increased woodpecker activity on the tree because uh, woodpeckers are a, a predator of emerald ash borer. Uh, but suckering is another sign, so especially suckering at the base of the tree because ash typically do not do that. Um, so if they're suckering, that's a sign of stress. Um, other signs are just small, you know, branch dieback in the upper canopy, thinning of that upper canopy. Those would be some things to watch for. Um, the, I know our foresters will carry binoculars with them, and they're actually using the binoculars from the ground and looking up at those branches, and they're looking for cracks, you know, cracks or what we call cankers um, in the bark, or even just a woodpecker um, damaged to those branches. It's such an elusive bug. <laughs> and and I, I thought, you talked about hitchhiking, and I thought it was interesting, as you, you and I were talking before this, that they can literally hitchhike on a vehicle. 
They they can, and you know most of them are probably may, maybe inside the vehicle, but or but they have uh, done some testing, and I, I believe they said they can hang on to a vehicle up to about sixty miles per hour. So, yeah, and the adult beetle itself, uh, they feel can travel as a rule. It would travel on its own, maybe a quarter of a mile a year. So a quarter of a mile a year, it would take a while you know, to move across the state. Uh, but it usually hitchhikes on vehicles and firewood. It's still very, very important that you buy your firewood where you burn it. Good advice. Now, if somebody wants to, and I, you guys have got some great um, handouts and magnets and that kind of stuff, but if somebody wants to read up more on it, mm-hmm. where do they need to go to find more yeah. about EAP? The best publications that we have are on the Nebraska Forest Service website. So I think if you just Google Emerald Ash Bore plus Nebraska Forest Service, and they have an excellent uh, series on there. They have information for the homeowners. So um, deciding you know, what to watch for, um, how to make the decision whether to treat your tree or not to treat your tree. And that's something people should be deciding now. Um, if once it's in the community or 15 miles from the community, am I going to treat my tree? Some trees, if they're older, if they're underneath power lines, if they have other issues, if they're 10 years or younger, you know, it's probably better to just replace them or remove them and replace them. So they have the information for that. They have information on treatment and making those decisions about treatment. So I would go to the Nebraska Forest Service website, or you can call your local extension office, and we'll be happy to visit with and answer questions as well. That's UNL Extension educator and a master gardener, Kelly Fian, as she talks about and where he's at. Again, the Nebraska Foresters website has lots of great information on the Emerald Ash Borer. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With the business report for Wednesday, I'm Bob Bergenstocks are edging higher on Wall Street as gains in technology companies offset losses in banks, industrial companies, and other sectors. Investors are turning their attention to this month's jobs data, which will be out on Friday. The S&P 500 index was up two-tenths of a percent in morning trading. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose two-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq Composite was up one-tenth of a percent. Huawei has launched its own Harmony OS mobile operating system on its handsets as it adapts to having lost access to Google mobile services two years ago after the U.S. put the Chinese telecommunications company on a trade blacklist. Huawei says about 100 Huawei smartphone models will use its proprietary Harmony OS system. The company is still cut off from American technologies including Google's mobile services and some computer chips to power its devices. Etsy says it will buy Depop, an app that's popular among young people looking to buy and sell used clothing and vintage fashions from the early 2000s. New York-based Etsy said it will pay $1.6 billion for Depop and plans to run it as a standalone company in London, where it is currently based. The deal gives Etsy, best known for selling handmade soaps and jewelry, a bigger chunk of the vintage clothing market, and access to millions of Gen Z shoppers. The U.S. average retail price for regular gasoline rose to $3.03 a gallon on Monday. That's up seven-tenths of a penny from a week ago based on the weekly price survey by the U.S. Energy Information Administration. 
Pump prices were highest in the West Coast states at three seventy-two a gallon, up two point six cents from last week. Prices were lowest in the Gulf Coast states at two seventy-two a gallon, down three point three cents. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. What exactly will Nebraska 4-H look like in 2021? I'm Alex Wachowski on the Rural Radio Network, and we're getting those questions answered today by IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. Mike, we've talked about uh, re-engaging IANR all across the state, and this summer, especially today, we're talking about re-engaging Nebraska 4-H. So a big question that we've all been wondering, what exactly will Nebraska 4-H look like this year? Yeah, well, the short answer is it's going to look very different than it did last summer, thankfully. Uh, Both fairs and camps will look a lot more like what we saw prior to uh, 2020 in the pandemic. The State 4-H camp at Halsey will host nearly 300 youth this summer. We're excited about that. Another 100 youth will be traveling to Lincoln um, to the, the campus for what we call the Big Red Summer Camps. Uh, This is a neat opportunity that provides college and career exploration for young people alongside our faculty and experts in veterinary science, digital media, art, engineering, agriculture, natural resources, sustainable fashion, unicameral youth legislature filmmaking, and there's just a long list. Uh, Really neat opportunity. And this is a, this is a, an innovation that also was uh, kind of had its genesis uh, during uh, the COVID. Uh, for the first time this year, we're excited that youth who are participating in our big red summer camps will actually receive a credential. Uh, they will receive a digital badge. Um, this badge actually is a, is a credential. It's not credit bearing, but it's a credential that actually shows that campers have received and achieved a level of competency in in one of these areas of focus. They've been used for people in the workforce who want to come back and pick up a special skill set, and that this is a way to document that they've actually achieved a level of competency. People put it on their resume. Uh, Employers look for these types of distinguishing characteristics or elements of somebody, and oftentimes it's uh, the decider between who they hire. So, we're excited to offer this uh, digital badge, and you know we kind of spent a lot of time thinking about these types of things. So we're excited to put them into motion. And it sounds like some great opportunities for Nebraska foragers who are so ready to get out and about and and go do things this summer. So, on the heels of camp season, we've got fair season. So, what can Nebraska foragers expect this summer? Yeah, we're expecting fairs to much more closely resemble the fairs of 2019 and before than that, those that were held last summer. So we'll continue, of course, to work closely with local health departments and follow any directed health measures that might, uh, you know, pop up right now. As we talked before we went on, on the air, yeah, things are looking like they're loosening up pretty nicely, and that's great. We're all excited about that, trying to remember what it was like to walk around and engage people without masks. And, of course, we're very glad to be returning to this kind of, quote-unquote, normal. And uh, that said, as I said, we learned a lot from how we configured our fairs in 2020, and some of those elements actually from last year we'll be, uh, we'll be using, using here in 2021.
All right, Mike, great information as always. Thanks so much. That again is Mike Bame joining us. He is the IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter this week in grain. John, as the grains come to a close and we start to see the settlements roll in, a little bit of a mixed day overall. We see the soybeans and the spring wheat kind of being able to come to the close on the positive side. But yesterday, corn coming in 76% good to excellent nationwide. Was that just not the number the trade was expecting, so they take a little off the top? Well, you know, we got to start. And I think whether you start at 72 or 76 or 69 or whatever the number is, as long as it's not a disaster, I don't think the market's really going to care. You look at the really tough years we've seen, 2012, 2013, those years got off to great starts from, from the condition standpoint. So now it's, uh, it's make or break a time when it comes to weather and the forecast. Uh, you know, it's being pulled down by a very good KC wheat crop. And I think that's, that's going to really be a hindrance for, for July corn right now, just given that that can substitute for feed on the Western Plains. But once those, bin, once the harvest ends and those bin doors go shut, I would imagine those folks aren't selling right away. So that's where corn has to do some work. So I think short term here, we maybe see some weakness down into the 660s for July, but still believe we're going to see seven bucks. From what I hear, the basis is only strengthening here as we get closer to delivery. And in my opinion, the, the wheat markets here led by the Northern Plains crop. Uh, we'll put an early harvest loan for the KC. So I think short term, maybe a little more of a chop into the USDA report. And then we'll maybe more importantly, the Fed meeting, the Fed meeting that will take place the 16th of June, but don't quote me on that. Um, that's when we'll maybe get a, a, an interest rate hike or, or a, you know, hat tip towards one. Uh, but until that happens, I just don't think the market's going to want to break. And when we look at soybeans, it really looks like that's being led by the soybean oil market. So can we expect it to hold these gains, or is this something maybe it's going to kind of enter this choppy market like the corn and the wheat? No, it's going to keep the, it'll keep the crust strong. So beans on the brakes are probably something you want to keep buying. I think at some point here you, you do have to worry that, you know, the, the, the yield. You know, we talk about corn, I've obviously talked about wheat, but, you know, soybean yields especially are going to be very, very important, especially given the, the, the amount of commitments we have. Uh, for, for next year. So soybean oil is going to maintain strength. So palm oil really let rally in the Asian markets. And, and an overall Asian turnaround, China has really tried to break its commodity markets over the last few weeks. A lot of rhetoric, but in the long run here, or at least in the, in the last few days, pointing towards the long run, uh, that that isn't going to work. So prices find themselves right back to where they were. Seeing iron ore prices and some of the, the metals, uh, industrial metals rally, and I think that's only pointing towards bullish, bullish types of price action. In a way, if you're bullish, you want the jobs number to be bad on Friday so they can continue to ease and put up the pedal. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing. Learn more DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading future options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on Wednesday. You can catch the midday podcast in its entirety. Sponsored by Devaney Motors. Rubber podcasts are available or krvn.com.